0: Hello, this is Angela Schavers, the host of Your Story Matters radio show. Today we have our special guest, author Mick Quinn, who has written the book The Uncommon Path. He is also a founder of Integral Heart Foundation, currently residing in Guatemala, but is actually born an Irishman. Hi Mick, welcome to the show.
1: Hi Angela, and um, it's a pleasure to be here and, and thanks so much for having me on.
0: I appreciate you taking the time to join us today and to share some of your story. And I look forward to learning more about the book and your organization. But before we talk about that, can you share with the listeners some of your history, your background, if you will, that kind of led up to where you are today?
1: Sure. Um, well, I was born in Ireland, as you as you mentioned, and you went just went to high school and college there, and and. Um, had a job in the 80s and everybody was moving to the states because things were pretty rough in ireland back in the 80s and i just took that opportunity i went to I, I went to new york and didn't like it but then went up to cape cod in the boston area and that was much more pleasant coming out of you know the irish culture into the american culture was it was quite a shock mm-hmm. so the the, the beach kind of kept things uh you know it kind of evened things out and, um, spent seven years, uh, living illegally, uh, in those days before I think everybody I knew won a green card in, in some, you know, visa lottery or other at the time. Mm-hmm. So as soon as I got my papers, I had started studying, uh, meditation and, um, meditation teacher suggested that I move down to New York City, go back to college and get into technology. So, following his advice, because he was in tech and he was also into meditation, that's what I did. Went to Columbia for a little while and then I got involved in a uh, Columbia University, and then I got involved in a startup in downtown New York, and we were doing software development and technical placement, and long story short, over the course of seven years, I did one, two, three, four multi-million dollar startups and sold one, two, three of them. Mm -hmm. And the first one was actually destroyed on 9-11 because we had our offices at the Twin Towers. So that, yeah, that kind of ended my business career. Uh, at least my, my, my path in that general direction, because as I said, in 91 be- or 93, before I got the green card, I was studying meditation. And over all those years, I was also studying all about self-development. And, you know, it was a lot of these questions were plaguing me, like, why are we here? And why do mm-hmm. people argue? And, you know, what's life all about? I mean, these questions that, you know, a lot of us kind of toy with. Mm-hmm. So... Mm-hmm. After 9-11 happened, I decided to basically jump into this um, wholeheartedly and, and really figure out these answers to these questions. At least the answers to these questions for myself, I'm not sure like they're the answers, but at least they're sufficiently, um, let me say, so the, the answers are sufficient to keep me happy. Right. and, and out makes of that, sense.
0: I'm glad that you point yes. that out because I think that that's sometimes where people get lost. They think, well... This person says this, and this person says that, and I really think truth is really based on what we've experienced and what our own perceptions are. Is that true?
1: I, I would agree with you, and, and I would also add that, that, that truth comes in different levels because the, the truth for, for someone like me or for someone at a higher level than I or let's say somebody on the ground here in Guatemala, like we have different truths that we can actually embrace because as we develop what we originally saw as true – actually is no longer true because something has kind of superseded it or something has transcended and included for instance you know a five-year-old believe in santa claus so a five-year-old that's the truth but when you're nine there's something else so you 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 we grow you've also we there there are truths that are relatives but there are also truths that are are absolute and within those two ranges let's say there's all sorts of levels of truth in there and that's something that i found out so that's what led to the right of the uncommon path. This was basically a summary of, for myself, in a way, um, of what I had found, like, uh, and what I say, what I had found, the, the teachings and technologies and theories that have emerged. So, let's say, at the forefront of human opinion potential, like what's out there, who's way out on the edge, who's really cutting some new ground in the expression of what it is to be alive, what it is to be a human, whats mm-hmm. what it is to be self-aware, mm-hmm. or even the big question like, what is enlightenment? Mm-hmm. So I, I, I looked at what was out there and came up with the Uncommon Path, which basically combines the four most recent teachings that have emerged in human consciousness over the past 15 to 30 years.
0: Mm-hmm before we talk more about that because i'm very interested in of course in the book and what you have learned on your own journey can you go back a little bit you talked about uh... having come from ireland and the vast difference in the uh, people here and i'm sure the living conditions things like that i really want to go back to that a bit because that is a great deal a part of your story and i know because the show feeds out globally there's many people that i hear from in other countries that sometimes are wondering, you know, how to connect with these messages that we're sharing here on the show or things that people have learned or been able to find as a way to succeed, if you will, in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, so can you talk a little bit about those differences, the challenges, how you overcame that, and maybe even some advice for people who are struggling with that type of situation right now?
1: I think in the early days, it was really important for for us, meaning us, the Irish, to to stay together. So that would apply to any ethnic group. I mean, I I think that that's probably the first thing and and it's something that seems to happen naturally is that you'll gravitate towards your own, you know, for social entertainment also, for networking, for jobs, for places to live, for cars, for, I mean, in those days it was also a way of getting in out of the country and keeping your visas current. So um, I think that was really important in, at least in the early days. Now the second thing was, uh, and this is something that, that I learned and I think it's also, it's still very important, was to learn how to speak American English. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds kind of silly, but my accent right now, and you can probably hear some of the Irish still coming through, is, is basically Americanized. Like When I go home to Ireland, they call me a Yank. And mm-hmm. when I'm in America, they say, oh, what a lovely Irish accent you have. So I'm not really sure, you know, do I talk like an Irish guy or I talk like a Yank? And I'm kind of in the middle somewhere. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what's important, that you learn how to enunciate how to speak American. And, and, and I'm not putting down your native language if you're, you know, if you speak Spanish originally or Chinese or, you know, any accent from Europe and or other English accents. Because it just makes it so much easier to kind of fit in a culture.
0: Mm-hmm. It just—it
1: it means you're trying. Because I think if you come to, if you emigrate to another country, the least you do is do your best to communicate very clearly with the locals. Mm-hmm. I think it's a—it's a—it's a, its a marker of respect. Mm-hmm. So okay. the—but the, after a while, then I felt it very important to actually move away from the Irish community because what I began to notice is that the Irish that I was around kind of didn't want things to change too much. They mm-hmm. wanted things you know, to stay pretty much the same, so a lot of the areas that we lived in and the people we know, it, it kind of became like a little Ireland. Mm-hmm. Now, that's wonderful, again as I said, for networking and for staying safe when you don't have papers and all that kind of stuff, but once you get your papers I, I think it's time to kind of stretch your legs and move out to a, into a broader community and begin to explore things that interest you, mm-hmm. whereas they may not be very much you know, of interest to your countrymen, so you know, someday you might meet a guy from Guatemala snowboarding up in northern Maine. It's not something that's native to the Guatemalans, but again, it's an example of someone breaking out of their shell mm-hmm. and going to explore for themselves. So I think mm-hmm. that's that's also very important, mm-hmm. and to have the courage to do that, mm-hmm. to have the courage. to do this. That
0: was my next question is, you know, that courage that you had not only to leave your own country but then to venture out in ways that you have now. To You actually live in another country now, and you've written the book and started your foundation can you share with the audience some of where you found that courage and that drive if you will to make these things happen for yourself because I know that I've had other people on the show and I've been asked myself you know how did you all of a sudden become this or make this happen and of course as you know it's not all of a sudden it's a process but I think people are usually interested in finding out that secret, if you will, as to how we go about doing these things or achieving them and can you share some of that from your own experience as to how this has evolved for you
1: I think at the beginning Angela and, and you know you, you may agree with this is that it's often it's a, it's a matter of necessity that we change mm-hmm. I think when when I was living in Ireland and and things were, you know, it was kind of like kind of black and white life and it wasn't really going anywhere. And as I said, most friends were leaving anyway, so it was either get left behind or follow them. Mm -hmm. So at that time, it was a matter of necessity that something happened. But I think, after a while when 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 you begin to to travel and look around and put yourself into other cultures, you begin to find out that there 's a much bigger world than you originally thought and a much bigger world than what you were than the culture in which you were you were raised mm-hmm. and I think it 's a matter of embracing what you see in that potential and not being afraid. To go after what you want. Now go after what you want. It doesn't matter how long it takes. If it takes you twenty, thirty, forty years to achieve that goal, then that's fine. Mm-hmm. But it's in the meantime. This is this is how you're how you're alive and how you're living. That you're you're not settling. You're not giving up. And you're not. Um, like playing into accepted norms you know for, for myself lived and worked in six different countries and people say well maybe you spent a lot of money on moving expenses and you know maybe I have mm-hmm. but I wouldn't be who I am today had I not done this mm-hmm. and, and I, I think it's, it's not to be afraid to travel and to explore, now I mean explore exterior, and also to explore the interior, meaning mm-hmm. practice mm-hmm. some meditation, maybe do some shadow work. I mean, there, there are lots of psychological practices and, 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 and nice esoteric or, or spiritual practices that you can do that can also really complement your, your growth. So mm-hmm. I, I think it's a matter of embracing both.
0: Mm-hmm. I agree with that, and, and I think that that's mm-hmm. powerful what you've said, that it's not just to settle, if you will, but it's also to be in the moment and enjoying the process of whatever your experience and doing at that time, because it can take years sometimes for things to evolve or to create the life that we truly desire and Uh to learn about what our desires even are. That's great words of advice and wisdom definitely from, I'm sure, someone who's experienced plenty. Talk to us then a little bit about how you came about, you know, writing the book. You said you went through all these experiences and you decided, you know, to put them all together. Was there a particular audience or message that you wanted to get out there for others, since it did obviously go out to many people, and there's a lot of people very interested in learning about what you have to say.
1: I would say, Angela, that it all Started. I can use that word without really putting too much focus on you know a starting point, but it, it all started in 2001. Uh, in August of 2001, I was on a meditation retreat with a teacher that I studied with for many years, Andrew Cohen, who teaches what's called evolutionary enlightenment, which is basically Buddhism on steroids. And I had an awakening experience during meditation with him. And what I realized during, in, you know, in the subsequent years following that experience, that the part of us that, and when I say us, I mean humanity. The part of us that's attached to our individuality, to this identification, this what I want, my past, my future, like this little sense of self, or sometimes it's called the ego. Mm-hmm. That part of us really can only get us to a certain level of development. I mean, we can, let's say, if, if, if human potential is a ladder and it has, I don't know, 50 steps, for instance. When we're working with the ego and and the fears and desires of the limited self, of the ego, we can only get as far as, say, step 20. Mm-hmm. There's no way we can actually go beyond that step. And this is one thing that I realized in and as I said during and after this experience in 2001, and this is why I wrote the book, is that the ego is quite a powerful character. It's been around for about 4,000 years, give or take, in human awareness, and not before that. It didn't actually exist before that. What it's done is, is, is actually, it's capable and has hijacked most of our great spiritual teachings to save its own neck. So what the Uncommon Path is about, it's about giving the reader who's maybe spent 10, 20, 30 years sitting on a cushion or 10, 20, 30 years going from seminar to seminar or 10, 20, 30 years studying with Krishnamurti and then Ram Dass and then the Dalai Lama and la, 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 etc., etc., et they're not getting anywhere. And they're like, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. So it's, the Uncommon Path is about gaining objectivity or giving you kind of um, the ability to step back from this structure called the ego in such a way that you can actually move beyond it. Now I don't mean leave it behind, abandon it, deny it, repress it, suppress it. I mean we include it in our, as part of our development, and you know, we build the ego, and we move beyond that. Mm-hmm. So that's what I discovered and, uh, beginning in, in that experience in, in, in 2001, because when I came back to life, I realized how forceful this little character was in my life, and, and I said, if I'm going to move on to the next level, I really have to come to terms with this, and, and that's what I hope to share you know, in my research and, and subsequently in the, in the publication of The Uncommon Path.
0: Mm, mm-hmm, mm. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I have to agree. I mean, it's definitely a very extended version of what in psychology circles we call the voices in our head, if you will. And I know that all of those voices and stories and things that were told throughout our lives have to be broken down at some point if we'd like to have true healing and freedom from our past. Would you agree?
1: I, I would agree. And, and then also just, you know, I'll just add a caveat there that we have to be really careful not to get stuck in the story because mm-hmm. the limited self or the ego, its, it's favorite place is the past, Mm-hmm. It doesn't really like the now because the now is very—it's always changing. Mm-hmm. It doesn't know what's going to happen in the future except one, well, maybe two things: death and taxes. Mm-hmm. So it's really afraid of death. So it's really not interested in the future. What it—what it really depends upon is the past and how it's wronged, and how bad everybody else is, and mm-hmm. poor me. And and uh, so we can actually get lost in that. We need to be very careful with that. That's not to say, as you said, and I, I fully agree with you healing does happen by sometimes you say going back and finding out when these voices came alive in our head and going back to that moment and actually healing that shadow because that's still manifesting as we go along. Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. What do you say then to people that only believe that there's a religious path, if you will? I won't call it spiritual because then that wouldn't include all the different religions of the world and and they might in effect, say that your theory is not right at all and that there's no way that this is so powerful as far as the ego and all these manifestations and things like that. What is your response?
1: Okay, that's probably a question that we could spend how many hours discussing, but... (laughs) (laughs) I I
0: realize that. I'm just looking for a quick... You know, because being here on the show and trying to keep it open to anyone and to be able to affect everyone... I often get comments from people who disagree with something when that was said or just can't mm-hmm. buy into something. And so I'd like to be able to give the guest an opportunity to share, you know, their perspective on someone who might say, hey, I'm a Christian or I'm a Mormon or I'm, you know, a Jehovah's Witness, and this is mm-hmm. what I think, and it is not in line with anything that you're saying. Well,
1: you know, I, I grew up um, as a Catholic in, in Ireland, of course, so... Obviously, I had no choice on that, and and I always wondered in my later life, you know, had I grown up in Algeria, would I have been Muslim, or had I grown up in Israel, would I have been Jewish, or had I grown up in, um, you know, some part of England, would I have been Protestant? So, what I realized in my life is that is that a lot of uh, our, what we call my religious beliefs are actually conditioned according to the geography of where we're born. So that's one point to consider. Mm -hmm. Now, the, the, the other point is that when I was in church with my mom, I'd be, I don't know, eight or nine years old. I mean, I would have experiences and I would tell her about them and she was unable to explain them. Mm-hmm. So I was actually, I was actually sensing or feeling or seeing, whatever word you want to use, something beyond the words and the ritual. Mm-hmm. So I studied that, and, and I still study this, like the the evolution of of these uh, of the religious beliefs. So let's say the the big ones: Christianity, Judaism, uh, the Muslim faith. Uh, Hinduism, right? These these very structured religions, mm-hmm. and I remember like the realization that I had out of these is that they all seemed roughly, you know, plus or minus five hundred years to appear around the same time. Mm-hmm. So there's actually when you study it, there's a direct correlation between the the ability of a human being to perceive self at the level of thought, meaning the emergence of the ego f- about four thousand years ago, and the emergence of these very structured religions. Mm-hmm. So what I'm saying is. and and this is actually quite interesting, is that the future of humanity actually rests in the hands of the leadership Mm -hmm. of these religions around the world, simply because, you know, mass or minus 70% of the people in the world actually um, attribute themselves as being, uh, you know, in one of these particular faiths. Mm -hmm. So the influence that these leaders are, are and can assert on the future of humanity is Huge. Now, what I'm saying is, there there are levels of development that are lower than the religion, than these religions uh, um, profess. There's also levels of development that are actually higher, and I can give you some examples if you wish. But um, I'm saying that 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 you know, overall. When I was born in Ireland and raised Catholic, I realized at some point that, number one, it was geographically conditioned. Mm-hmm. So therefore, it couldn't be the absolute truth because I ended meeting Muslims and Jews, and, and they were just as like convic- convinced as I was of my faith. Mm-hmm. So that's the, I think that's the one most important point to be considered, and then to allow yourself to look at the more mystical side of these religions. For instance, a Jewish person can begin to explore Kawa, a Muslim can, be, can begin to explore the Sufi the side of their religion. If you're Christian, you can look into the mystic side of Christianity and not be so, let's say, um, focused on the, just simply on the ritual. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Good points. All of them very valid and I agree. I think part of what we're talking about today is looking at your own self and developing your own personal awareness and self-awareness.
1: Yeah, and, and seeing how that how that fits in and how that has molded you as a human being and how that's molded your personal choices and also how it has molded how you spend your time in the world. Because a lot of us will, will spend our time according to what mom, dad, and whatever the church was in down the street from where I was born. And if you're not aware of that, you can actually end up living quite a limited life because... You're simply attached to something that you're just not aware that you're attached.
0: Mm-hmm. Nothing point. wrong with
1: it, but it, yeah. But if you're if you're interested in growth and development, then again, the point of the book.
0: Mm-hmm. And that leads me to the next part of the interview, which is talking about the organization Integral Heart Foundation and the fact that you're mm-hmm. living in Guatemala. Can you share with the listeners how that came about and what the purpose of your foundation is? The
1: last, well, there are two in the book, and one is called Awakening Relationships, and, and the last chapter of the book, which is the thin out of Awakening, but it, it basically speaks about something that we call conscious service. Now, conscious service is where you choose to surrender or give up or dedicate a significant amount of your time, resources, or money to the future of humanity, Mm-hmm. meaning I care for the world and simultaneously there's significant evidence in my life that that's the truth. Mm-hmm. So long story short, I mean, after the book came out, my publisher said, you know, he said you should go to the States and publish, the, you know, when the, when the book's released to do all the marketing and all that stuff. And what's happened, we, you know, my wife, Deborah is from Spain. And we really missed the Spanish culture, so we, we rather than you know dealing with the jet crossing back and forth over the Atlantic, which I'd done for 20 years, and I was just tired of it, uh, we said we'd come south, and we were in Ebo, Costa Rica, and then a friend of ours mentioned that her sister had built a house in Guatemala. And the first thing I thought was Guatemala, Third world, dangerous drugs." And she said, "Well, yes, it is in general, but not there." my sister's house is in this one town called Antigua, which is uh, the UNESCO city. Mm-hmm. So it's been protected since the 70s. And I mean, it's perfect weather and all that kind of stuff. So we came down here to, to check it out. And on the second week, we rented a car and mm-hmm. we left Antigua. Now, this is, if you imagine, 10 square blocks of cobblestones and, you know, Spanish colonial uh, cathedrals. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's absolutely gorgeous. Mm-hmm. But once you drive over the town line, you're into third world right away. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there's, no, there's no middle ground. It goes from first world, if this is like any city you would see in the south of Spain, right across the street is third world. Mm-hmm. And we realized that maybe there was some work to be done here now that mm-hmm. the, book, the work of the book was done. So in a way, it was kind of a coincidence. We didn't think about it for very long. I think we went back to the States and within three weeks, we'd made the decision to pack up and leave and move. So we, 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 we did just that. The idea of taking the ideas from the book and also bringing together people who are at some of the highest levels of development in the world for the sake of the people down here. So it's kind of a, two, a two-fold effort. It's, it's using the advanced teachings and theories in the book to help people here and also to connect people Around the world, who are interested in helping, but at a, at a slightly higher level than just, you know, giving twice a week to whatever your favorite charity is and let them do whatever they want with it.
0: hmm, hmm, mm, Powerful. And how long have you all been down there?
1: Uh, since 2009, mm-hmm. the end of the end of two thousand the, the the foundation's already you know up and running. We have four different programs now. Um, one of them is a, a, a sponsorship program for children, and that's for young kids and also for teens who want to continue education past high school because most of them can't afford it, so they just end up going to work some menial job after high school, and that's kind of the end of their career for the rest of their lives. And uh, the the second one is an education program, again, as I said, based on the teachings and theories in the book. The third one is a leadership uh, development program where we work with local school directors to help them run their schools um, more efficiently and also to help them kind of maintain their sanity in Mm -hmm. running their schools. Mm -hmm. And also the the fourth one is what we call our home life program because there's 500,000 families now here don't have access to the grid so what we do is we we have these um solar units that we install they're small portable in mean, the same size as a magazine really great little unit that allows the kids to read and allows the moms to cook without having to use candles mm-hmm. so those are our four programs
0: Wonderful. It sounds like you're doing some amazing work, and I'm sure you have some great stories to share from all of that. I wish we had more time to talk about that. There you go.
1: (laughs) But I know
0: that you do have a website, and you have other ways of connecting with the organization and those types of things. And before I have you share that, I just wanted to ask you then, because uh, the show Your Story Matters is based on really learning from our stories and discovering our purpose, and then hopefully living that out. And i definitely believe in service to our communities and others. Would you say that what you're doing then, based on your experiences and everything that you've learned and are teaching through the book, are you living your life purpose?
1: I would say without a shadow of a doubt. And and I would also say, Angela, that after a point, you actually have to... Let go of what you think that means
0: mm-hmm.
1: I think mm-hmm. there's there 's a time and, and, and you know in many people 's lives, it can be a long time figuring out like what is my purpose, and I think once you believe that you 've found your purpose, I think the next step then is actually letting that go and allowing life to guide you because ultimately we are consciousness evolving beyond this attachment to individuality and i think that's that's what stands under or let me say supports the work down here is that we're we're not serving others mm-hmm. we're serving mm-hmm. ourselves we're serving the source of consciousness itself
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i would definitely agree with that and i think that that's somewhat the power in everything that you know i talk about with others a lot of times in this finding your purpose and living your purpose is when it becomes just a way to live meaning it's not there's not all this effort and stress and you know conflict if you will it's just that is you're just living that purpose out and it and it's it is letting go of the idea of it and just living it would you find that Mm -hmm. to be true Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and and i would also you know just like to add that it you know something it actually demands tremendous effort and and there is tremendous stress and there's also tremendous amounts of conflict but you know what, at that point, it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. It really doesn't matter. You accept that as part of, let's say, the, the, the burden or the work that you've taken on, and then you just simply continue beyond that.
0: Mm-hmm makes sense makes a lot of sense so if there was one thing you could wrap up the book with I mean that would really encourage and inspire other people to go out there and want to read it and learn from it what what could you say about it because you know as well as I do there's tons of books out there on self-help and on all these different types of avenues to you know search within yourself and, and grow yourself and i would just love for you to be able to share a key point of this book because i find everything that i've read so far and heard you talk about just amazing stuff that a lot of people need to find out about
1: mm-hmm. well i would probably say angela that resistance points the way mm. Now, we're, we're, we're often conditioned to, to, to shy away from resistance that, that which we don't want or that which we don't believe it's going to serve us. Mm-hmm. So in the book, I completely reframed this in a chapter called The Challenge of Change. So resistance points the way. Now, the second part of that is that the, the emotional state, like your subjective emotional state, whoever you are that's listening to this phone call, 90% of that is showing you, a way out of the situations that are really not serving you or humanity. But what we tend to do with that is we tend to put that off on other people. Mm. So in the book, and this is called "Shout," and it's, it's the second chapter because I think it's most important. I think it's critically important and amazing if you actually begin to look at your emotional experiences as what's stopping you from getting out of your current situations, or what's what's preventing you from evolving, and in the second chapter, I get exercises on that, on the shadow technique to actually dissolve and then reintegrate these these shadow models So you end up with peace of mind, but it's not from sitting on a cushion. It's actually just from paying attention and not running away from your emotions.
0: Mm, I love that. Perfect ending. Can you share then with our listeners where they can find the book, The Uncommon Path, and the information for your website?
1: Uh, the Uncommon Path. My website is mcquinn.com, and uh, you'll find a link there to the book uh, on Amazon. And also the the foundation website is Foundation.org. So it's integralheartfoundation.org.
0: And the website is Quinn, com. That's it. Of course, they can always contact your Story Matters radio show for additional information or to connect with you further. Thank you so much, Mick, for your time today, for sharing some of your amazing story and your journey. And I really wish you all the success that is available for you and for your family and your wife and hope that everything continues to grow just as it's meant to be.
1: Absolutely. And, and thank you, uh, Angela, for, for, for your time and also for doing this work. And the best of luck to you in the future.
0: Thank you.